0: ready to keep you company wherever you are carte blanche the podcast brings you immersive hard-hitting stories anytime anywhere every week it's another slightly longer episode of the Holbrook Rack wrap with carte blanche at daily maverick here's what's coming your way suspended public protector Busisiwe Krebane finally takes a stand Surprise, surprise. We look at the candidates hoping to leave the DA. And yet another child dies in a pit toilet. When will this end? Must be
1: the worst nightmare. And I do wish that we as a nation pause more carefully every time one of these cases happens.
0: Also, what you need to know about installing solar, let's get into it. Welcome to another episode of the whole week wrap with Staley Maverick, where we try to make sense of the news beyond the headlines. I'm Snegeti Westlander and I'm joined by Farial Hafidji, associate editor at Daily Maverick. How are you Ferial? How's your week been? How are things? So Nekete,
1: lovely to see you. I'm not sure about you, but I'm going to make a long weekend of it. Not planning to be a part of the national shutdown, though.
0: I am making a long weekend of it, too. So I've taken my my Monday off. I will be putting my feet up. I'll be following the tweets. I'll be following the news as well from the other side. Because actually, once again, like every week, we're coming out of quite a substantive news week. It really
1: has been busy. In fact, the whole year so far set out at quite a pace.
0: Yeah. Let's start here. Suspended public protector of Kurbane took to the hot seat at the parliamentary inquiry into her fitness to hold office. We've all been waiting for this moment, and I'm sure she's been waiting as well, to tell her side of the story. She started by saying that her troubles began when she touched the untouchables. What did she mean by that?
1: I guess if you look at the tenure of our public protector, what she meant by that is that her investigation into the president, Sol Ramaphosa, and the funding of his 2017 campaign to become ANC leader was touching the untouchables. Then also, her CX investigation into what happened to the lifeboat payment made by the SARS to a bank that went under a very long time ago was another example of her touching the untouchables.
0: She also said that the inquiry is a political witch hunt by the DA and the ANC. Quite a loaded statement to make. Extremely loaded statement. I suppose the counter view to that one is that
1: so many of the public protectors' reports have been found wanting in the courts. And on several occasions, personal costs orders have been made against us. Now, judges are very, very hesitant to do that because it can have a chilling effect on people who come before the courts. So I think they would have done so
0: with due consideration. Probably that's what she was talking about. I think I was shocked when she said that it had become fashionable for judges to slap her with personal cost orders. And she was also frank that these were painful for her and also that she actually doesn't have the money to pay for these.
1: I'm sure that she doesn't. They're quite hefty and substantial cost orders made against her. But if you read them, they were made with due consideration because mm. what the judges argued that these were fallacious cases being brought before them and that the base document upon which they were being brought, usually the reports of the public protector, the work hadn't been substantially done on those.
0: Quite often she gets caught up in political rhetoric. One of the things that she has said is that the inquiry is a racially motivated campaign born out of the fear of real change.
1: I suppose I might just come out and say it is that... um, The nomination of our public protector, it came from a political quarter. It came out of the office of the former president, Jacob Zuma. We've never been apprised of which official in that office brought it. Then there have been numerous accounts to show that the public protector's office was still highly, highly influenced by a certain faction of the state security agency. So I think that there are real questions to be asked about the motivations, the independence, and the ability to work independently by our public Mm. protector. And unfortunately, we come from A history and a present where you see factionalized interest, be it at intelligence, be it of our Chapter 9 institutions, be it of the hawks, the crime intelligence operations of the SA Police Service. It was all part of the state capture story. Now, you can't say so about the Public Protector's Office, but I do think that many of the battles she chose to fight and many of the cases that have now come to this point do suggest a factionalism in that office. Now, I have to say the other side of the story from her former spokesperson is that if you look at the universe of her findings, most of them are about poor and disempowered South Africans, many in the rural areas. So it's not true that the only thing she did was to make these highly political findings as she did. But it is a large part of her work. And I think those are fair questions to be asked about her.
0: And it's going to be important for our democracy to keep this office objective, independent, but also credible as well. So far in her testimony, has she made a compelling case that she is fit to be public protector? You no, know, I don't
1: think she has. I do think that her case hasn't been helped by the antiques of her advocate Dali Mpofu, hmm. um, and we can debate that if you like. I don't think he's helped her with a dispassionate account of her work, which I've seen her spokespeople and her officials do in much better ways. In fact, I don't think it assisted that he went on the attack on her predecessor, Trina yes. winning them both absolutely no favours, either at Parliament or in the wider court of public opinion.
0: Now moving on to another major story that came out. The Democratic Alliance will hold its National Congress next month. The official opposition will be choosing its new leaders. We were all caught by surprise (laughs) when one name showed up on all the positions that will be contested. It's a name that none of us have ever heard of. And that is Lungile Penyane.
1: Who is she?
0: What do we know about her? In fact, we didn't know her until recently. And in the true spirit of Tumamina, She's put up a hand for all the positions.
1: I love my colleague, and Maswabi. did a profile on her because obviously she's been talk of the town for the week. Yes. She's a bona fide DA member. And she's put up her hand saying, I want to lead. And then she hasn't only put up her hand for one position. She's put them up across the board. I do think she was making a statement about black leadership in the party. And yeah. I look very forward to seeing how far she's going to get um, come April. It does look like some of the other candidates were not making symbolic statements, but they actually came from constituencies. It was an audacious move. And you do want yes. to see more political officials doing things like this,
0: putting their hands up when they don't agree with the direction the of these parties. Lungile does say that she wants to help improve the organisation that she hopes to inspire more women and the youth to play a bigger role in South African politics. I do have up here the poster on the Daily Maverick website where they announced um, the positions and yes. different candidates. We have under federal leader John Stianazen, Lungile Penyane and Paul how would you say um, she stands between the other two candidates? What are her chances there? It's
1: have to say, a no-hopper. Huh? So this <laughs> isn't a poll of the public. It's a poll of the party leadership. Yes. And when last I checked, if you look at the construction on who will vote in April, it feels to me like John Steenhuisen is a shoe-in and that even up against a marvellous candidate like Mpopala, mm. he's still got the bulk of support within the party.
0: The other position that we will all be looking at is chairperson of the Federal Council. And the two candidates there, we have Helen Ziller, an institution on her own against mm. Louis Le Penyane, And I think this is a (laughs) no-brainer.
1: So, you know, I really wish um, that (laughs) Ms. Benyana would win that job. Um, I do, I mean, I don't understand what has happened to Helen Ziller, but she's become not the progressive force that she has been, and that she seems to have become more conservative. It was alarming to me that she partnered with and has been amplifying the views of Dr. Asim Malhotra, the anti-vaxxer cardiologist from the U.S. who's been um, out here doing the rounds. I was also really stunned to find out in 2021 that it was Mozilla who put the kibosh on an ANCDA coalition in Johannesburg, which I think would have been much better for those of us who live here than the current monster coalitions, which we now have in Gauteng, so I do think it's time for her to perhaps take up a fellowship at university and study. But it's yeah. very clear that Helen Ziller is extremely popular in the D.A.N. And, and obviously she'll get that job. Obviously.
0: Our next story, Fariel, and this one really, really, really gets me vexed because it's another reminder of the indignity of poverty. A four-year-old girl in the Eastern Cape, Langalam Vigi, has drowned in a pit toilet Why do incidents like these continue to happen? For me, it was the story that should be
1: headlines all week long. In a different country, in a different time, it, it would have been and it should be. So when does this end? You know, governments, norms and standards, they were put on watch by the courts to say that you have to do away with these toilets. What I found in in my work on Joburg and specifically in water shortages is that unless we as the media don't keep a continual eye on it, mm. it seems like it won't get done. And and that's, as a journalist, I feel that's a real
0: challenge for us. As I was looking into the story, I learned that over the past decade, there's been many other cases of children drowning in, in, in pit toilets. And these are names um, that we, an incidents that we aren't aware of. We do know of the Michael Khomape case because that went all the way to the yes. constitutional court. But I think also another thing that was shocking for me in this case is that Langalami didn't come home on Monday. And so the mom was out looking for her and she was only discovered on the Tuesday. And my heart goes out to this woman who discovered her child in such a state.
1: It must be the worst nightmare. And I do wish that we, as a nation, pause more carefully every time one of these cases happens. Because I'm looking back now, the Michael Kumappi case was globally covered and you would have thought that government would have moved much faster to ensure such yeah. a thing can't happen again.
0: The solar gold rush is on, but installation is costly. So the industry and banking sector is stepping up to help South African households with funding options. We're living in a permanent state of load shedding and many homes are turning to solar as an alternative means to energy and it's not a cheap alternative.
1: But what I have found is that more and more people want to know about this. So our colleague, Lisa Moodley, she went out and she did. What's become a very popular story is how do you finance this? Because another survey we covered this week showed that only between 1% and 2% of South African households are in fact able to um, Mm. afford to install a solar that can get you off the grid so nisa went out and she found what the banks are offering how you can do this it's something more and more people are going to be considering so they they're quite expensive the loans attached to these and I'm hoping that you'll see more and more products coming onto market so that the costs can come down.
0: It's going to be important for us to be in the know especially because there isn't any type of regulatory body in this industry which then leaves room for a lot of Scamsters. I can see uh, that lunch Blanche going up. <laughs> and we've already oh, done so a piece nice. It's amazing, it's amazing. Scamsters in this country just are so talented they find it, yeah. So I think it's important to say that if a deal sounds too good to be true, it is too good Probably. to be true. Cyclone Freddy struck Mozambique and Malawi with a vengeance. We celebrate the tireless efforts of the South African National Defense Force in rescuing trapped civilians. A positive story which comes out of a disaster situation. This is the rescue that happened in Cabo Delgado in Mozambique following Cyclone Freddie that battered Mozambique, Madagascar and Malawi. The death toll from that natural disaster keeps increasing. We've heard that the rains that have come from that cyclone it's six months of rain within six days.
1: Well, that's a, that's crazy. I mean Malawi really took the brunt of this. And I was really interested to read my colleague Peter Fabricius's good news story because I felt like we were so starved of it this week of how somebody had been saved by SANDF and the images really told us. Something. Have you seen the oh, pictures? I it's incredible. It. I mean they oh, were but it was absolutely Heartwarming to see one of our soldiers going down
0: and picking up the person who had in been those caught raging in the flood. Waters. Mm. It almost reminds—it took me back to the time when that uh, the lady—it was in Mozambique as well, yes, yes, maybe yes. about uh, 20 years ago now or more—who yes. gave birth during that rescue. And really, the images of this event now—that river is full beyond brim; the waters are raging and it's just, it's incredible. And the Health Umbered recently released a shocking report recommending disciplinary proceedings against the CEO of Gauteng's Rahima Musa Mother and Child Hospital. But this long overdue action would not have been possible without brave whistleblowers.
1: So I was really impressed by Professor Malehapura Mahoba's report into the Rahima Musa Hospital, and it really showed me about the value of good people acting together to blow the whistle. So um, the first person who did was Ashley Sauls. He's now a mayor in the Karoo. He's from Patriotic Alliance, but before he was based in Westbury and Western around Mm -hmm. the hospital. And he'd gone in to shoot the video of the women sleeping on the floor there. And then it was that, as well as Uh, Dr. Tim Demeyer, the pediatrician who works there and has been speaking out about conditions at that hospital. And then he told his story to Mark Haywood. And I just thought, here you have four great South Africans who have hopefully turned the cause on what's happening at what used to be a very good community hospital.
0: One of the takeaways from me was when he said, in this country, we do a lot of talk, but when it comes to actually doing and putting into action, we are found lacking. And that's it for this installment of the whole week wrap. Have a brilliant week, Ferial. Hopefully things will be a little bit easier, but knowing our country, we're always rolling with the punches. We'll have
1: a lovely, lovely week.
0: Thanks for listening. Catch us again next week for another whole week wrap. Until then, why not join the conversation on Twitter, Facebook and everywhere else. We always love hearing from you.